This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7. Let's start reading in verse... Uh, I want to, we'll start reading over in verse 11, but I want to pick out verse 8 first. It says, but because the Lord loved you. Please notice that that's what everything is based on. Here's Moses talking to the children of Israel, giving them final instructions before he goes off the scene and they start following Joshua into the promised land. He's going to talk about some things that happened in the wilderness. He's going to talk about some things that happened when God delivered them from Egypt. He's going to talk about some different things that he's experienced with them. But notice he says that it's all because God loved you. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. Folks, I want you to understand the promise that God made Abraham is still a promise to his children today. Galatians chapter 3 is real clear about that. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now verse 14 tells you why. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Verse 29 says of Galatians chapter 3, And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, folks, I want you to understand, the promise that God made to Abraham was not a spiritual promise. That's why the Jews looked at everything in material terms. That's why when Jesus said to the rich, said to the disciples after the rich young ruler experience, he said how hard it is for a rich man to be saved. That's why they're astonished out of measure. They said, well, who, who can be saved then? Jesus said, no, it's hard for a man that trusts in his riches to be saved. The promise was material. The promise was all this stuff that we're reading about here and going to read further into. That was the promise. And the Bible still says to the church, the Gentile church, you and me, the letters that are written to us. It says, and if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This same promise that that Moses is talking to the children of Israel about in Deuteronomy is the same promise that belongs to you today. We've got a better covenant because now we have remission of sins and they couldn't even touch that. Closest thing they could get is the sacrifice of a lamb or a goat or something like that to cover over their sins for one year at a time. Not us. We've got an eternal redemption made once and for all by the precious blood of Jesus. But that doesn't mean the Old Testament promises don't belong to us. No, in fact, they still do. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, has the Lord brought you out of a mighty, with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? In other words, he's saying God loved you so much and he desired to keep the promise that he made to Abraham to such a degree that that's why he delivered you from Egypt. Now, what is Egypt a type of? Egypt, is, uh, the deliverance from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea is a type of salvation. The Bible says so. The New Testament tells us that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said they were baptized by Moses in the Red Sea. That's a type of salvation. So what does he say? Verse 11, thou therefore shall keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass if you shall hearken unto these judgments. Your choice. Obedience to the word. We've already read what part of the obedience to the word means is to change your thoughts and change your ways to God's thoughts and God's ways. Sounds a lot easier than it is, folks. It takes some work. 
If you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. Here's the blessing of Abraham. And he will love thee, and he will bless thee, and multiply thee. And he will also bless the fruit of thy womb, and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, thy wine, and thine oil, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Now, folks, please notice it didn't say, now, some people will bless their wine, other people will bless their corn, other people will bless their flocks, other people will bless their oil. You know, you've got to divide it out. Got to make sure not everybody has too much. He didn't say that. He says, I'll bless you in everything. I'll bless every one of you in everything. God is not El Chipo. He's El Shaddai. The God that's more than enough. More than enough. Not just enough, more than enough. I don't know if you realize this or not, but more than enough means God will make you rich. Now, don't try to define what rich is. Don't say, does that mean he'll give me more money than Bill Gates? Well, I hope he does, but the Bible doesn't promise you that. Rich is not a dollar amount. Rich means enough for your needs to be met and enough to give to others. That's what rich means. Rich means a full supply, enough to meet your needs and your family's needs. God does not want you grinding yourself against some stone, some job, some beat yourself up and never enjoy your life with your kids or your family. That's not God's plan. God wants you to enjoy life. The Bible says God gives you richly all things to enjoy. God doesn't have a problem with you enjoying things. Well, now you've got to be careful. You're just talking like this and people will get greedy. Folks, it's not talking like this. It's not reading the Bible that makes people greedy. Reading the Bible will change people from being greedy. It'll change their purpose for having stuff. Sure, you want your family blessed. But I want to be blessed so that my family has enough and I can do something to help somebody else. I mean, how many pairs of shoes can you wear at one time? You know? Verse 14, thou shalt be a blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. That's the second time that he says this. Second time. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of thee which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Now, the word lay means allow, literally. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that, for that will be a snare unto thee. Consume all literally means in Septuagint, it means eat all their spoils. If thou shalt say in your heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Here's the thing that stops so many people. They think, well, how can this be true? I, I, I can't be that kind of person. I can't have that kind of wealth. I can't have what the world calls rich. How am I going to do that? I'm, it's just me. Verse 18, thou shalt not be afraid of them, but well remember what the Lord thy God did to Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Turn with me over to uh, chapter 8. Let's start in verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shalt you observe and do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in your heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or not. The word humble means to chasten. 
Now, folks, what is chastening? And here's a big issue in the body of Christ. Yeah, the Bible says despise not the chastening of the Lord. And so somehow or another, religion has defined that for most all of us as God punishes. Folks, the Bible says God chastens his children just like you chasten yours. How do you chasten yours? You put cancer on them? You want them to get sick? If they do the wrong thing, you put their hand on a hot stove and burn them? You bring some kind of tragedy in their life, break their legs if they do the wrong thing, go the wrong place? The church has no problem accusing God of doing that stuff. Hear that all the time. The Bible says that God chastens his children just like you chasten yours. How do you and I chasten ours? We teach them. We train them. We build character in them. The Bible says the chastening of the Lord is done by the word. All scripture is given by God. Second Corinthians, second uh, Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction, for correction, for rebuke, for discipline, for chastening. That's what these words mean. It means to chasten or to discipline. God chastens you or disciplines you one and only one way, and that is through his word. He teaches and he trains you. Now, the Bible says very clearly, if you do what the Bible says, you get what the Bible promises. If you don't do what the Bible says, then you get something else that's not as good. So there's no question that bad stuff happens to people because they go against the word. But it's not God doing it to them. He told them ahead of time. He warned them. It's kind of like you warn your kids, don't play in the street. I doubt very seriously that there's ever been a kid that's been run over in the street whose parents did not tell them first, don't play in the street. Now, it's a tragedy. What a terrible thing. The parents didn't want that. They were trying to keep that from happening. Things happen because people do the wrong things. It's not God pulling the strings. It's not God making it happen. And there is a time in the wilderness. There is a time of learning in the wilderness. Notice what it says. It says, God led you through the wilderness to know your heart. To prove you, in other words, to know what was in your heart. God knows just as well as you and I know that the best thing for our kids is not to throw everything at them and watch them get spoiled. Things that come too easy to people, they don't appreciate what they have. How many of you have had that experience with your kids? You give them something good and they take it for granted. You get all excited about what they're going to get on Christmas morning. They come through and they tear through the boxes and they say, "This is, is this it? You've got to be kidding. Now, there's one more thing. There's a big stick. <laughs> because we want them to have the right kind of character to appreciate what they have, right? Well, you don't teach them that character by throwing everything at them. You teach them that character by showing them how to work. You show them the value of things. That's what the Bible says God did with us. seems that God is as smart as a parent today. He led you through the wilderness. Yeah, there are going to be lean times. There are going to be tough times. What are those tough times for? To show that you'll act on the word no matter what. And he humbled thee, verse 3, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. Now, what does that mean, suffered you to hunger? Nobody died of starvation, folks. They said they got to the place where they realized, hey, there's too many people out here and not enough stuff to kill. So what did they have to do? They had to turn to God as their source. They had God, they said, God, you have to give us something to eat. So what did God do? God gave them something to eat. If God had just walked them into a place where there was a dining room table set up for all six million people of them, 
They wouldn't have appreciated that. They wouldn't have thought that God did it. They would have known God was their source. They would have said, oh, wow, look at what somebody left for us. So what did he do? He brought them to the place where they could see that he and only he could be their source. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. It is much more of a school than any other healing service I'd been to. Pastor Mike goes through the specific scriptures in the Bible that point to the healing power of God. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord thy God chastens or disciplines or trains thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bring thee, bringeth thee into a good land, into a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. Folks, let me tell you something. The current economic condition or the economic forecast does not change what God said he'll do for his people. I don't know about you, but I'm coming into a good land. I don't care if the economy tanks for the, for the world. I'm coming into a good land because I've got something that's more sure than the economic situation and foundation of of the system. I've got something that can't fail. Not too many people have have that to say. What country can literally stand up and say, our system can't fail? (laughs) Yeah. You've got a system that can't fail. You've got God's word. That's why it's so important to know these things in the last days because the worse and worse it gets for the world, the better and better it can get for you and the more difference it can make to the world to see what we've got in him, which I believe is the real reason for it. So the Lord's bringing you into a good land. Verse 8, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, without scarceness. Now, folks, did this just belong to the Jews? Did God run out of the lack of scarceness thing because now the dollar is tanking? God hadn't changed. He can't change. A land where you'll eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. Now, folks... You may not be living up to this. I may not be living up to this, but the Bible is true. Which means we can live up to this. Which means God wants us to live up to this. Thou shalt not lick anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Please notice, when thou hast eaten and art full... God doesn't have your problem with being full. I don't think this literally means when you push back from the table. I mean, I I believe this means when your needs are met, when you're taken care of, when everything that you have desire for and, and to take care of your family and the things that you have need of, when those things are met, then. That's what full means. That's what rich means. Rich means a full supply. When you have eaten and you are full, when your needs are taken care of, Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. God seems to think that the minimum is you being full. The implication is there's nothing to thank him for unless you're full. That's the minimum. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't bless God along the way. We do. But God's saying at least accept full as the baseline. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he gives thee, has given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. When? When you're full. He's saying don't get turned around because of the stuff that you have. Now, folks, the warning comes not as a prerequisite to who's going to be blessed. God doesn't look around and say, oh, you're, you're, you're going to forget me. Nothing for you. He's not the soup Nazi in heaven. (laughs) Oh, you're going to follow me all the days of your life. Okay, I'll give you good stuff. Not you. No blessing for you. That's not the way God works. The Bible says the blessing of God belongs to all of his people, and he gives the same warning to everybody. Now, when you're full, when your eyes are off being hungry, when it's not such a right-in-your-face critical issue like it used to be, don't forget that it was God that did it. Don't get to thinking you're really something sharp. Because remember, when it was just you, you were without anything. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. In other words, don't forget the word. The word is what gets you the blessing. The word keeps the blessing on you. Don't forget the word. Lest, verse 12, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast dwelt in goodly houses and dwell therein. God must not have a problem with any of that stuff. Because his warning is not, now be careful, don't, don't, don't build a big house. Don't you dare think about living in a goodly house. Blessing of Abraham was tense. No, nothing good for you. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, now, after you get the good house, don't let that turn you away from doing the word. Well, Pastor Mike, I don't have a good house. Then get one. Well, I've got a house, but it's not as big as what I want. Then get the one you want. Oh, but I I just, I just don't think I could ask the Lord for that. Okay, I'll take yours. Why? Why wouldn't we ask God for that? You think it's going to make a difference to God? God doesn't care what size house you live in. God doesn't care what kind of car you drive. He couldn't care less. If it doesn't change your heart, that doesn't matter because the only thing God cares about is your heart. Remember what Jesus said about your rich young ruler. It's not the rich guy that can't get in heaven. It's the guy that trusts in his riches that can't get there. So as long as you're trusting in God, he doesn't care what you have. He wants you to enjoy things. He doesn't want you to get your eyes so focused on you that you forget about helping other people. Sure. So keep helping other people. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast dwelt, built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Folks, please understand God doesn't have a problem with you. Eating and being full, he doesn't have a problem with you building a good house or dwelling therein. He doesn't have a problem with your herds and flocks multiplying. He doesn't have a problem with your silver and your gold multiplying. He doesn't have a problem with everything you have multiplying. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. The least amount you can multiply is double. 
Did you get that? That's the first time I've ever thought of that. I'm letting that sink into me. The least you can multiply, think about it multiplying. If you multiply anything times one, you haven't gotten anything. The least you can multiply is times two. I don't know about you, I got some doubling coming on. <laughs> he doesn't have a problem with any of that stuff. He didn't have a problem with your houses doubling, your, your, your silver and your gold doubling, your flocks and your herds doubling. He didn't have a problem with anything you have doubling or more. That's the minimum. He just says, be careful, here's the warning, that your heart is, be not lifted up, verse 14, and forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the land the house of bondage. I, folks, i got to tell you something. The idea that I could forget God in blessing me is absolutely, it's not even realistic. It's not even realistic. How am I going to forget God? Why? Because seek first the kingdom of God and all this stuff will be added to you. I'm going to get all the stuff that I get by putting the word first. How can you forget God doing that? Oh, but Pastor Mike... The Bible says the prosperity of fools destroys them. It does say that. So don't be a fool. <laughs> that kind of solves the problem, doesn't it? The fool is the guy that forgets God. So don't forget God. Well, what did God do? God led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did they go through the wilderness? It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't God's plan. They went through the wilderness because they rejected going into the promised land. So don't blame this on God. God's saying, I took care of you in the midst of all this stuff that was going on out there. Who led you through the wilderness, through the great and, fire, the great and terrible wilderness, where they're, they're in, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions. Remember the story in uh, Numbers chapter 13, I think it is, where, no, no, it's not Numbers 13. Where is it? I don't know. It's in there somewhere. Number 16. It's, uh, it tells the story about how the children of Israel murmured against God and fiery serpents came in and began killing the people. And it talks about a lot of them died. And God told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on the pole. And everybody that looks on the serpent of brass shall live. Folks, I want you to understand, the fiery serpents were all through the wilderness. God is protecting them until they complain. And then when they complain, that, that protection is lifted from them, and the fiery serpents come in. God didn't send them. God didn't cause them to come in. But when you take yourself out of obedience, they did so by murmuring against Moses and Aaron. Then the fiery serpents came in and bit the people. They knew that they had messed up. They said to Moses, we've sinned. We've made the mistake. They're the ones that lifted the protection of God from them. God didn't do it. That's what this verse is telling us. Who led thee through the wilderness, wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, and where, and where there was no water. Who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. That was a new thing, you know. Not too many people get water out of rock. That may be the way your business is looking. How do we get water out of this dried up thing? God can make water out of it. Who fed you with will in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Folks, don't worry about being in a hard place now. There's good in your latter end. Just keep your heart focused on the word and you'll come through. The Bible says more than any other thing, and it came to pass. 
didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Trouble doesn't come to stay, it comes to pass. Just keep walking. You'll get there. You'll get through the other side. And then here's another part of forgetting God. And thou shalt say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. By the way, the Septuagint says great wealth. The Bible of Jesus' day says in my power and my the might of my hand has gotten me this great wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That it's he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That's the same great wealth in the previous verse. God's the one that gives you power to get great wealth. Now, why would he do that? That he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto your fathers, even as it is this day. In other words, the same promise that he made to Abraham is still good for you today. Folks, don't believe God for a better job. Believe God for the company. Don't believe God to get by. Believe God to have more than enough. Don't believe God just for bread to eat. Believe God for seed to sow. Folks, Jesus is coming back. There's too much world to reach. You know, at the end of World War II, General MacArthur was was head of the putting things to get back together in Japan. Japan had been defeated, and, and MacArthur went to the church and said, give me 100,000 missionaries and we'll make Japan a Christian nation. The church wasn't ready. The church didn't have them. And as a result, Japan went the other way. He realized there are moments, and you need to realize this, there are moments in history where doors are open to countries that you can reach them with the gospel, but those doors don't stay open forever. When the Iron Curtain came down, Russia was open to the gospel, but that door, that window closed after a period of time. Now it's different. It's not the way that it was when it first came down. The church has got to be ready. You're not ready when you're sitting on hoping to pay your light bill. You're ready when you've got the people and the resources to go when the time is ready. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want the last days. That's what I'm believing for. We do not serve a cheap God. We serve a God that cares about the world. We serve a God that cares about people. We serve a God that cares about you. Quit believing small. Quit praying small. Quit confessing small. Confess what the Bible says is yours. Pray big. Believe big. Confess big. Christian life is the best life there is because God has planned so many wonderful things for his children. He wants you to know of all of those blessings, but first of all, he wants you to be part of his family. That comes only through Jesus. And the Bible says that there are two steps in that. And that is, first of all, to believe that God sent Jesus to the earth, that Jesus died for your sins, and that God raised him from the dead. Then the second step is to confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Your confession rules whether or not you are saved. So a simple prayer of salvation would sound like this. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. Therefore, I confess Jesus now as my Lord and Savior. I thank you, Father, for accepting me into your family. I thank you for saving me. That's all there is to it. If you've never prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. Make Jesus the Lord of your life today. Ask Him into your heart today. Thanks for watching. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. My coworker, Elaine, 
um, she would talk to me about the Foothill Church. Oh, she learned this, she learned that. And I just felt like, why don't I know this stuff? And I finally decided to start coming here. And the more I came, the more I got attached. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.